Hello and welcome to episode 280 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and I'm joined today by Eva Padilla. Hey, what's up? Eva, it has been a week. You and I have played much more of Muramasa the Demon Blade. Actually, you and I have played much more of Muramasa Rebirth, because I'm pretty sure both of us are playing the uh, the Vita remaster. But um, with another week and another, I don't know, 10 to 15 hours of playtime, I, I think I like the game more now than I did a week ago. The, more, the deeper you get into this game and the more swords you collect and the more bosses you fight, I think um, the more invested I was. And so I, I have mostly nice things to say about this uh, quirky, weird, vanillaware game from almost 15 years ago. Uh, what are your uh, impressions having finished the game recently? I think it's awesome. I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Um, I think it's a pretty lean adventure in a great way because, you know, so often with these games, um, it takes so much longer for leveling. So much of this is... um, a game that might stretch to you know 25 or 30 hours and with the dlc you could do that but um you know i put in i think 14 hours into uh getting um two endings for um both momohime and kisuke um had a great time with it i um really enjoyed uh, a lot of what i saw a lot of what i played um the combat felt good to me easy but good and yeah, I think this title is pretty underrated. Like, I was trying to look around on um, my podcast app to see other podcasts that talk about it. Um, not much. It's pretty rare to see this game talked about, and I think that's a dang shame. Yeah, and I, I don't think that this game is unpopular or unloved either, uh, because when we were posting um, materials from our... Uh, uh, when we were posting the podcast from last week, it did pretty well on social media, and uh, when you look at reviews around the game, it, it was received positively in the moment uh, for, the, for the most part. And, and like I, I looked at our Muramasa Rebirth uh, review on RPG Fan from nine years ago, and it, I think it got an 85 or something. Like This is a liked game, that, or at least an appreciated game, that just doesn't have a lot of... Uh, doesn't have a huge audience. Like there, There's not a lot of volume of Muramasa content out there. And, I, and this is something I don't love doing, but uh, this thing could use a recent remake. <laughs> like I, I, again, like modern port begging is something that I think is a little intellectually lazy. Like of course, old good games from eight years ago should be put on the modern consoles. Of course, they should be. But this is a perfect candidate for it because it's com- it's only uh, available on two systems that are not dead, but but quite pe- in the past. And I think that Vanillaware is. If, if not high on the hog, then doing pretty okay right now, since they had an Odin Sphere remake about two years ago, and uh, and the successful Thirteen Sentinels last year. Like, th- like this is a perfect candidate for a Switch or PS5 port or similar. Um, and because c- like like you, I had a lot of fun with it. I also got to the um, got to uh, the second endings for both characters. My time investment was similar, probably around 15, uh, 14 or fifteen hours. Like this is a game that I I, I, I finished and I'm satisfied with how I with uh, everything I got out of it, but I'm I'm still thinking about maybe playing more of it because there there is some depth and a and a post game to Muramasa. This is this is a just a good game all around that does a lot of things that are very fun and interesting. And uh, but the thing that everyone rightfully keeps going back to is just how pretty it is. It is 
so beautiful from the animations to the bosses to especially the backgrounds like these are this is these are among the best backgrounds i've ever seen <laughs> in a 2d action game absolutely and when um I've seen videos of it running on uh, Dolphin because uh, with it originally being a Wii game. Right, and, and, and Dolphin, Dolphin being a GameCube and Wii emulator. Exactly. And mm. so I've seen it up to, you know, much higher resolution seeing, um, you know, pushing like 4K. And uh, wow, that art upscale looks incredible. <laughs> um, but then, you know, you run into the problem that even on Dolphin, uh, the problem is that it's just the Wii game. So it doesn't have the um, stuff that's added for Rebirth, including um, the DLC. So the DLC stuff is pretty much only on Vita, and we still really haven't cracked um, Vita emulation yet. We're not quite there yet. So it's kind of just locked to that system. Yeah, I, th I think that um, the emulation community is pretty good at jailbreaking Vitas and putting yes. PS1 emulators on it. <laughs> but they're, they're not, uh, but the, they haven't completely solved the puzzle of Vita um, emulation. Right. I see, I've, I've seen plenty of Vitas running like Super Mario World and such. Right. <laughs> Which is also troubling because we had, a, there was recent news about Sony um, likely ending the online stores for the PSP, PS3, and Vita which we have don't have an official announcement yet but that seems like it's coming which and there's a lot to be worried about there but we 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 won't make that part uh, a large part of this podcast discussion but uh you mentioned a couple things um the the DLC for this game and 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 the different endings to this game I stopped short of 100% completion on uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade because uh, again the, um, each character has three endings um, and and you and I I think each only got to the first two for each character, uh, and that's a little regrettable. Like I, I would sort of like to maybe see everything this game has to offer, I, and I have I've avoided going on to YouTube or wiki articles to see what those endings are, just because I, I I don't know it felt it it, it it felt like me breaking a rule or something, even though even though I easily could have. Um, but th that's only because of the time investment. Uh, to unlock those last endings, you need to unlock all 108 swords. Which, you know, makes sense on paper. Like, sure, you unlock everything and then you can get the best ending. That makes sense. Um, but to unlock all the swords, you have to go into um, Caves of Evil for something like the last... Uh, for something like six or maybe eight so of the last swords. And they... Uh, the recommended levels for some of them get into the 80s. Like, you should be in level 85, 90 range to, mm -hmm. um, to get those last couple secret swords. And, uh, and I finished the game with exactly 88 swords. So um, I, I didn't quite get to the number of earthly temptations, but I did get to the number of keys on a piano at least. Um, but <laughs> but this is good. <laughs> yeah, but 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 grinding levels and grinding souls because because you know you have to spend soul and spirit to forge blades, and spirit is easy because you get spirit from eating food, but souls is just beating a bunch of enemies. Um, grinding for levels and souls to get to those um, for both characters felt like probably another ten hours or so that I was not willing to invest. Yeah, probably about that. Um, where, yeah, after finishing the second endings for both of them, where I left off was in kind of that sweet spot of um, I've I've used these characters and their expressive motions um, enough where I'm not I'm not sick of it yet, but I think I'm just about satisfied with it, and I think any more of it might have soured me a bit more. Um, and I and I like the. Um, both of their second endings, like those were fine enough 
um, not just fine enough, but good endings where I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't think I really need to see those third endings. These these feel just fine to me. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same headspace. Like I thought that the second endings for both characters were were good and 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 cute. Like I I liked both of them a lot. And while I have not completely exhausted my level of stamina for Muramasa, uh, if I were to grind to level 90 and get those final endings, I would run the risk of getting tired of this game. So like like um, Muramasa's good. It did not wear out its welcome on me. But grinding all the way to the end, maybe it would wear out its welcome in a way that I sort of don't want to do. Plus, I have, oh, geez, you know you know me, I have six other games I, I should be playing <laughs> for a podcast. Um, and and I, I, do, I, I was ready to move on um, from Muramasa when I got to the end. But uh, before we talk about the endings specifically and the plot specifically, there's a couple things that are definitely worth talking about in uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade that we sort of either glossed over or didn't really get to in the previous episode. And uh, one thing, uh, j- j- just one quick hit, uh, I-, I love the food in this game. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um, o- Odin Sphere did a good job of this too, of-, of making food like an important part of the gameplay. And either George Kamitami or his colleagues at VanillaWare or all of, the- or all of those, I-, I think they just love drawing and animating food. Because even just... Like buying mochi at a mochi stand, or 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 rolling onigiri in your hand, and um and and pressing the X button, uh, uh, X button on a Vita control on a Vita, uh to sort of, to sort of munch through the food. It, it was just fun every time. Like 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 it, it, it it's almost useless animation and art in a way that they didn't need to do this. They could have made food just an inventory item and not and not have uh semi-lavish animations for it but they did and i love it (laughs) yeah it's a bit it's a bit decadent um especially for you know a a game that did not have a large team but that's the that's the thing that kind of um really appreciate about this game is that it's like there are a, a massive amount of resources poured into spaces that you wouldn't expect where it's like wow this is some of the best looking food i've ever seen in a video game or um how the waves look in the backgrounds is just it's like come on really that's what you did that's incredible that's what, those those are some of the best waves i've ever seen and but you can tell that they just looked at traditional japanese art from that time and 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 represented it everywhere in the in, in the backgrounds especially for like the way the bamboo layers over each other and the way the waves crash into each other and the way the sunsets are positioned in a way that's just that's just beautiful and uh, again I, I hate to roll everything back into yakuza games but them being my most recent gaming obsession um there's something about unnecessary details that are just so fun to encounter when you do encounter them that that just makes me appreciate a game more. Like, like uh, Yakuza did not. Need, most of the Yakuza games have darts, and whenever there's a darts game in a Yakuza game, they have like ten rule sets in in <laughs> in each darts game. It's like you didn't need to do this. You could have just made a count up rule for every game of darts. They didn't. They could have just had that, and it would have been fine. But instead, they have pro darts rule sets and and like and like ten different ways to play darts in Yakuza games. They didn't need to do that, but I love that they do have that. And in Muramasa, they didn't need to have, like, 20 kinds of beautifully animated food, but they did, and I love that they did. It's kind of like the antithesis of, um, you know, AAA development, where it's like, oh yeah, the 
the uh, large amount of resources were poured into the large meat of the gameplay. Like, you can tell resources were allocated in a very uh, workmanlike fashion. And it's like this, you know, this percentage of the resources needs to go into this because it's this percentage of the game, etc. And then with kind of these smaller titles, especially with how Vanillaware is kind of has kind of like a boutique sort of way of making their games it um the attention to detail can just take you by surprise um and i think that's kind of muramasa's secret weapon is just um it's just surprising you in strange and unexpected ways um where kind of i went into the game expecting um one thing in terms of just kind of being wowed by the aesthetics. And sure, I was wowed by the aesthetics, but there is uh, there was more to it that I really uh, loved, including I I ended up liking the narrative quite a bit and the characters. Um, and um, after like the first hour, I started to really enjoy the combat as being just kind of this fun hack and slash sort of thing on the lower difficulty. So and that's another, um, the difficulty setting is another thing that... Uh... I don't think you and I explored completely. Because we mentioned that there's legend and chaos difficulty. Legend sort of being normal and chaos being uh, uh, the enemy having a lot, being a lot more active and you having to use your evade mechanics much more. To, much more. And if you beat the game, I, I think for on any ending, on uh, chaos, you unlock a third difficulty called fury, which I believe is the same as chaos, except you have one HP permanently and one hit kills you. Um, oh my god! <laughs> yeah, and then there is—I uh, I don't know how many achievements there are for Fury difficulty, but I think that uh, yeah, only the real crazy people play this game on Fury. Um, but um, I, I thought this, the the story in this game was good, but also sort of disjointed. Like uh, every boss fight was definitely incorporating something from Japanese folklore, or retelling, or twisting some, a, a Japanese fairy tale or piece of mythos in a way that I that I loved but they, they would also like almost like a grindhouse real missing kind of situation sometimes like, the, oh, yeah. like the, there's a uh, a boss fight on the Momohime, Momohime path where you fight a large oni and and I think that there's a they they do a sort of a a, a momotaro um, hiding behind stones, uh, a mechanic for that game, for that boss fight that I thought was really cool. But uh, when you go when you go into the boss room for the first time, suddenly it's Momohime hiding, saying, "Oh no, Jinkuro's soul got eaten," and it's like, "What? What? When did that happen?" <laughs> um, yeah. And, and then, but then she uh, tricks the oni into him swallowing her. She cuts. She uh, frees Jinkuro's soul and cuts out of him, and then the boss fight begins properly. But like it almost feels like there was a scene missing um but, but that might be a japanese theater thing with s- things happening off stage and then the narrator uh providing context and i, I think they used a rakugo narrator a couple times in this game uh, uh rakugo is a sort of a form of japanese uh half storytelling half stand up comedy where it's uh, like someone sits behind a platform with a towel and an orange and 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 tell and tells a story full of puns and weird humor. I I believe that there is some Rakugo narration in the game because I think they even there was even a a Rakugo performer in the credits, <laughs> like in, uh, as a specific line. And uh, I I only know what Rakugo is. You're gonna laugh because of one season of Super Sentai. <laughs> 
had a Raku, had a Rakugo narrator tell uh, uh, do the all of the episode previews. Um, that's oh, that's fair. I yeah. I mean I know it from the the uh, the anime series uh, Shogun Roku Rakugo Shinju. Oh, nice. Um, which is which you know I <laughs> I won't try to get too off topic, but if you haven't seen that, it's the best TV show I've ever seen. Just gonna put that out there. It's incredible. I, I was being a little misleading. I have run into Rakugo uh, in a couple other spheres that completely make sense for, uh, being me. The, the, the Super Sentai series with Rakugo in it is one of the 1990s ones. So, so that was where I found it first. But uh, there is a Rakugo uh, murder case in one of the later Phoenix Wright games. I believe, oh. it, I believe, I believe it's the, the most recent one that was released worldwide, Spirit of Justice. It's a... Uh, um, and also, one series of Common Rider from the 2010s <laughs> has a uh, has a Rakugo uh, um, performer who turns into a monster that uh, that Common Rider Forze has to fight. Rakugo is a very Japanese thing that is a little that that takes a little bit of research or is a little odd to explain to someone who's completely unfamiliar with it. And again, I was completely unfamiliar with it until watching Kaku Ranger and uh, and did a little bit of research on it, but it totally fits for Muramasa. <laughs> And uh, and and is just a, a, a bunch of really interesting slices of Japanese art and culture to experience playing this game. Absolutely, and how it kind of combines with the the sort of kabuki uh, stylings of the presentation. Um, I mean, this is this game. A lot of the time, feels like a love letter to um, to kind of Japanese mythology and different ways of um, how. Uh, how performers tell their stories, you know, and and that can be presented from a you know, first-person narrator. It can be from a Rakugo performer. It can um, be this sort of omniscient voice and such. It's it's really wonderful in that way. I think. One yeah. One other uh, piece of uh, sort of Japanese traditionalism that I think we didn't talk enough about in the previous episode is the music in this game. Uh, it, it uses a lot of traditional Japanese instruments and, 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 and traditional Japanese uh, sort of uh, musical genres, but it's, it's just a really dope Hitoshi Sakimoto soundtrack. Yeah. What, yeah, it's a, it's a really solid one. I don't think there's anything that has stood out to me as much as, like a, um, as some of his other works, um, like particularly like the Evilly stuff, of course, but it's still a really solid soundtrack nonetheless it's it's sakimoto you're getting something good <laughs> yeah and, and sakimoto can he tries to create a soundscape every single time that he uh that, that, that he does a soundtrack that that fits the game like, like muramasa doesn't have any you know bops that you're gonna hum to yourself or that or <laughs> or, or, or or seek out in on youtube really specifically uh, but it's completely different from the more sort of dramatic orchestral stuff that he did in the Evil East games or, Val- or Valkyria Chronicles, and nothing like the pop techno mishmash that he did for 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. I, I guess Sakimoto's a regular collaborator with uh, VanillaWare. But uh, like, like, he just really put his best foot forward to make a soundtrack that fits the vibe and style of this game and, and and did so beautifully like like you you want a a uh a dramatic like japanese flute um taiko percussion kind of uh kind of soundtrack for a game like this and and he absolutely delivered it 
Yeah, and and then I think we may have mentioned this in the last episode, but when you go into uh, combat encounters, um, then there are kind of more modern instruments that come into the fold that augment the more traditional instrumentation before, and I think that works really well. Um, part of the part of the thing with um, with the DLCs is that. Um, there's asset reuse for it um, in terms of the backgrounds and a lot of the music, but there's so much love that was poured into the music and to the backgrounds to both catch your eyes and ears and not make you feel um, tired of them that it's like, all right, so I'm going to have to go through these things again and find new things to love about them because I'm definitely not sick of these environments or these soundscapes yet. Sure. Bring it on. <laughs> right, and we did mention this a little bit last week, but uh, th- there are four DLC episodes for Muramasa uh, Rebirth, the, the Vita version only, called Genroku Legends. I unfortunately didn't try any of them because I... Incredibly bad timing with this um, uh, PSN store news, and uh, news, but my Vita memory card died uh, uh, about a week ago. The uh, it, Again, it's extremely unlucky. Um... So I lost a lot of save data for games that that I had downloaded from the PS Store, including all of my Tactics Ogre um, data from uh, when we played it last year, uh, and and uh, and multiple runs of Persona Four and Persona Three Portable, which I, I feel particularly bad about. But fortunately, I was playing Muramasa on a physical cart, and physical carts on the Vita save their data to the um, Vita's base memory. So I, I, I do have the data. Um, I, I did not lose all my Muramasa data uh, when, when, my, when my card died, and I still have my Trails of Cold Steel data from uh, the podcast recording we did last year on it, or uh, maybe two years ago by now. But um, So I, I, because I did not have a working Vita memory card for the past week or so, I was not able to download Genroku Legends like I was planning to do. Um, but, but you did play, uh, maybe you didn't finish all of them, but you did at least sample them, correct? Yeah, I played at least a little bit of all four of them. Um, so these DLCs, um, it's some of the strangest DLC that I've really ever seen because you know this is a this is a remastering of a Wii game like four years later, um, and this content was not on there before. Um, but all four of these these are like pretty meaty DLCs. I'll take playing all of these um, would take you about the length of what we did you know, 14 to 15 hours, maybe. Um, it might be a bit shorter than that, maybe somewhere in the, like, 10 to 15 hour range, depending on how much you want to put into it. Um, but basically, for all of these four, you have a different protagonist. So in the first one, you play as um, this girl named Okoi, who um, dies and basically has her soul fused with a cat um, yeah. and um, becomes the Nikomata. Um, you have Gonbei, who is a, uh, a rice farmer who is basically banding together with his um, fellow villagers to talk with the uh, local authorities because their taxes are way too high and they, um, they can't survive on this. Um, he fights with a like a hoe and a farming sickle and his dead wife. It's it's weird. It's weird, but it's cool. Um, then there's a, a ninja named Arashimaru who only has eight days to live, and he is um, he's kind of he has this white snake um, goddess that 
exists around his neck and is part of his combat um, is part of his combat verb set. And there's a the fourth one is a demon girl who's one of the 108 children of Enma. Um, and hers is just kind of a silly story about her being proposed to by a guy who didn't mean to propose to her. And now she's going to meet his imaginary uh, fiancé to tell her, like, it's okay, I'll marry him. Because <laughs> he lied about it. Um, so I've only done a little bit of all these, but um, this is the thing. I was probably at the extent of what I wanted to do playing as Kisuke and Momohime. All of these characters, they're not completely different from how they um, work, but they're different enough to make it interesting to control them. Well, okay, uh, r- rolling this back a little bit, um, Kisuke and Momohime play identically. Like, if yes. um, th- and the controls for them are the same. It's just what 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 weapons you're equipping that affects the gameplay between them. Um, but and but you're saying that these four DLCs, they're they don't control the same way, only with different animations. There there are more gameplay wrinkles added. Oh yeah, so. So Catgirl uh, changes between like a half-human, half-cat form and a cat form, and then this weird cat-head goddess thing called an avatar form. Uh, Gonbei calls in villagers when he does basically like the, you know, the blade switch when um, you press the triangle button and then you do like that quick that quick yeah, strike. Yeah, if you um, if your spirit is high, then you can do an Aiido bonus attack whenever you switch what blades, right? Yes, so when Gonbei does that, one of his uh, fellow farmers comes in and helps him fight. Um, <laughs> um, and then Arashimaru can uh, basically summon this snake that's existing around his neck um, as a giant um, snake that shoots out fireballs. Um, and he also has kunai, bombs and a, a sickle on a chain that he swings around violently. So he's like um, one of the annoying ninjas that you killed 20,000 of in the main storyline. Um a little bit. He he yeah, he takes a lot from those enemies, but he does have some wrinkles to it. And then uh Rajak uh Rajaki um changes between this uh child demon form, this kind of woman demon form and um and then this sort of full demon avatar thing, kind of like the um, the cat girl. So it's so they all have these different wrinkles, and they follow a similar verb set to Kisuke and Momohime, but they feel different, and it's really fun to control them. All right, now I'm you know twenty percent more interested in this DLC, and when I have a working Vita memory card again, I I might I I, I may just go ahead and download it, but. That's uh, cool. I, I think just looking at the trophy list for each of them, it looks like that they were each about three or four chapters, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, like, combined into one, this is a $15 DLC that is maybe the size of, of half of the in- of the entirety of uh, of Muramasa. This, this is meaty and interesting and different. Yeah, pretty much. It's, yeah, and just... They reuse they use reuse backgrounds and music for it, but they use different characters and uh, different sorts of uh, narratives and ways of expression. Rajaki is a basically a baseball bat that shoots fireballs. That's sick. <laughs> yeah, that, that all does sound cool. Like, uh, again, I, I think I am done with my Muramasa career for now. 
But one day down the line, revisiting this, grinding a little bit for the best third ending, and uh, and playing the DLC does sound like something I'd be interested in. Just just not right now in in March 2021, I'm afraid. Um, but you know, I was looking at the different transformations for the for the Demon Girl in the fourth DLC, and the the fourth one, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the third one, the, the final uh, form that she has, which you can I guess only use for a limited time, is sort of. It, it has an unusual musculature to it that I uh, <laughs> that I sort of associate with uh, with Vanillaware's art style. Uh, it, again, I, I haven't played all of the Vanillaware games to completion, but I have played a little bit of Odin's Sphere and Dragon's Crown, and things like the like the knight in Dragon's Crown and Odin in o- Odin's Sphere. They have like a weird, exaggerated, gross musculature to them, and a lot of the uh, and and certain female characters in both games uh, have. Just really, really weird art anatomy choices in the character designs. Um, I, I'm talking about you know the gigantic breasts for the Queen of the Underworld in Odin's Sphere, and, and the Sorceress in Dragon's Crown, and the weird thighs for the Amazon in, in Dragon's Crown. Like it, it's, it, it's, um, and and also the the school nurse character in Thirteen Sentinels: Aegis Rim. They they do like weird body types and weird fan service in in a lot of Odin Sphere games which i think is a turnoff to a lot of people cuz like i mean when Dragon's Crown came out in the early 2010s a lot of people like without really knowing anything about the game just made fun of the sorceress and amazon like like that th- that was that was part of the of the group narrative around the release of the game probably unfairly cuz cuz i mean that that game is is basically a uh, um, kind of like Guardian Heroes or, or like, like a fantasy RPG version of a beat-em-up like Final Fight. Uh, but a lot of the narrative was around those character designs. And I think that Muramasa mostly dodges that. I, I mean, Momohime's pretty, but I, I, don't, I don't think that she's, um, she's really gross fan service in her character design. And uh, I was sort of surprised there wasn't a lot of that in this game until, <laughs> until, we, until you hit the, fi- the, uh, the boss fight I think it's Mo- I think it's Momohime Chapter Seven against Raijin. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> oh my! Oh um, my goodness! Mike, she she thick. She, she thick. No two ways about it. She thick. Um, I I I I don't think it's quite as ridiculous as the um, tiny waist, gigantic boobs of the Sorceress and Dragon's Crown, but 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 Raijin thick, and there's there's no. There's no denying it. Um, it's uh, that's the character that a lot of the uh, you know vanillaware titillation got <laughs> got rolled into, and 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 seeing this um, th- this uh, s- sort of uh, th- th- this broad shaped woman with exaggerated uh, 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 like thighs and chest, but also like shy and in love with a with a with a tiny gnome of a wind god. <laughs> Was just was just a, was just really amusing and um like a lot of the boss fight banter and 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 like the, the sort of uh, I don't know the uh, the offbeat whimsical uh, nature of the different um, demons and gods you encounter in this game I, I I thought was really fun and the the handful of times you meet the literal Buddha were were like like it's, yeah. it's like well this is weird and the Buddha's being very serene, but it's kind of strange to talk up to the Buddha in a game where I just defeated like half of the cast of Journey West. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. 
but uh but, but yeah yeah raijin she she got it going on and then and fujin he he's a, a god who knows what he likes yeah you know i think this is and with like with sexualization like this <laughs> it's it's if if you want to call it that i guess i don't really i mean i don't really care or have too much of an issue with it like yeah it's kind of silly that during the boss fight like raijin like turns her butt to you and you have to like basically smack her butt with her with your sword yeah it's ridiculous i don't some people some people might have a different opinion on it but i'm like <laughs> they're bigger fish to fry and like i don't yeah it, it's whatever it, exactly <laughs> like like the the female designs in vanillaware games are, are uh, a lot of them are sexualized a lot of them are weirdly exaggerated and just unusual artistic choices um and and it will completely differ from person to person how uh good or bad you think that is or how uh or or how intense your reaction will be to it like i i mean if you if you watch a lot of uh a lot of of uh, of anime or video or play a lot of video games with these kind of designs you probably won't even blink with with Raijin but uh but it, it's different for every person i think it is i mean it, it is designed to be titillating in a certain way but uh like you said, this is not an issue that should be making any headlines. Um, there are bigger fish to fry and bigger problems to address within uh, within like portrayals of of women and others in in video games. We don't need to put a lo- we don't need to waste a lot of breath on this. But yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna I, I won't I will not lie to you. I both of my eyebrows shot to the top of my forehead the first time you encounter Fu- uh, Fujin and Raijin. Yeah, yeah, I I was like, oh, um, okay, yeah, it, it's kind of this, it's kind of this thing, and you know, especially with, um, you know, playing a lot of RPGs, there is this, um, there are these designs and everything. I'm always just more concerned when there are, um, when there are narratives that are fully that are fully degrading, fully dehumanizing women, you know, disparaging um, sex workers, things like that. That's you know. If you're if you're you know if you're punching down on working class women in a game through your narrative through your mechanics etc that's a little bit more of a, a problem for me than I know smacking thick god <laughs> and and, uh, and um, coincidentally there are sex workers in this game like you, you encounter mm-hmm. uh, prostitutes including one or two uh, oirans who are you know sort of like uh, like um, prostitutes in in a leadership role and and uh, even like the ghosts of women that have just led a really hard life. Uh, well, like, like uh, you, you, uh, there's a once or twice you'll see you'll meet a ghost in a in one of the living areas saying, "I was like I, I was a prostitute and when one of my clients was just uh, just just went too far with me and and escaped and uh, and then and then like, Momohime or or Jinkuro will will say, "I'm sorry that I'm, we'll just say I'm, I'm I'm sorry this happened. We'll if we find him we'll find justice for you like like things like that situations like that that are like oh this is. You know, a- acknowledging of what sex work was like in Japan three hundred years ago, in an in, in an uh, in an oddly affecting way. Yeah, I mean, it's throughout the story, like you know, Kisuke can be a bit like can be a bit flirtatious and a little bit and like a little bit gross towards women, but it's but there are there are people in this story who are actively making women's lives really terrible. I mean, this is not a very, a massively, um, 
heavy game on you know like thinking about women's labor or something but um but it is it is there and there is um there is and it's like attempts um if not outright accountability for um people who mistreat sex workers in this so there's an acknowledgement of it even though it's not a it's not a major part of the of the narrative for sure yeah um but you know, speaking of the narrative, maybe we should actually talk about the story a little bit. Uh, I, I think we only really got into the first couple chapters in each, in each story here. But uh, the basic gist of it is that um, Kisuke is a ninja that worked under the service of um, of Yuki Nojo. He was tasked with stealing a uh, w- with stealing a sword from the Narukami family, which is what uh, Torahime and Momohime belong to. But um, things went badly. And he and he died, uh, but managed to keep the sword, um, and and, uh, and 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 killed some of his fellow ninjas along with it. But uh, on his deathbed, or um, uh, on the brink of death, a spirit, um, the ma- a master of the Oboro demon sword style, offered to fuse to fuse souls with him, and uh, which would save Kisuke's life and also give the spirit an opportunity to pass his skills on to a. Uh, um, uh, uh, to, to a new person because he had not done so to his satisfaction in life, and Kisuke agrees. Uh, so he and, and the soul fusion happens. Uh, Kisuke survives but has limited amnesia. Does not remember killing a bunch of his comrades. Uh, reconnects with uh, Yuki Nojo in the in the Iga Ninja base and is tasked with um, with with, uh, with taking on Torahime. Uh, and when um, he meets Torahime, something stirs in his heart. He realizes that uh, his previous mission, um, which was to steal the sword from Torihime's family, he had fallen in love with her, and uh, and part of why he died was that he was trying to protect her. And but Torihime unfortunately had also died in the same struggle, and but made a deal with the Buddha to live another forty nine days on Earth so she could uh, properly seal off the Inugami sword that was uh, that was her family's guardianship because again a, a sword containing a uh, a powerful dangerous dog demon and uh together for the second half of Hisuke's story like he and Torihime are sort of either working together or following each other to try and track down the missing sword and seal it off properly uh and Kisuke going from being kind of a amnesiac jerk trying to figure out what he what happened to him in life and eventually learning about the obero style stuff and sort of rediscover or refalling in love with Torihime, I, I thought was pretty cute. And the ending to the game, uh, to his story, the the first ending, um, he uh, furious that Torihime has to die, demands that Buddha revive her, and while Buddha sort of serenely tells him no, uh, the Buddha allows uh, Kisuke and Torihime to reincarnate into two new people who are and are given a second chance to meet each other again and fall in love again which is which is all, all all right but a little sad and and the the second ending if you um obtain the swords from his ending and momohime's first ending is is uh is kisuke me- meeting momohime uh because uh, the the final boss in the for the second ending is against momohime possessed by jinkuro um he he manages to banish jinkuro's soul which and but uh, Torihime does die having run out of her forty nine days. So Momohime and Kisuke uh, sort of team up and as as Muramasa buddy cops, I guess, to try and and wander the countryside um, for uh, 
to try and find as many demon swords as they can to safely seal them away or collect them so they can't, you know, uh, spread their evil around Japan, which I, I, I thought was a nice ending. Like, it's it's a... And and uh, sort of gives you an idea, the feeling of this is a man and a woman working together, uh, but they're but but in a but they're in a platonic relationship because the, both of their hearts are elsewhere in a, in a way that I thought was was kind of sweet. Um, we'll get into Momohime's story in a minute, but what were your feelings on uh, Kisuke Torahime and uh, and his story? I really I I kind of like the ending and having the. Um, the moment when he, you know, when he commits suicide because he's like, well, if you're, if, you know, if you're the Buddha and you're not going to revive Torahime, then I'm going to force someone's hand here. And, um, you know, he he's kind of taking agency after being thrust into a situation not entirely of his own devices or at least his own uh, recollection. So it's cool to see that sort of um, agency being brought back, and the sort of rom- and the romanticism that he has um, with Torahime in that ending. So I thought it was I thought it was a nice ending, not anything revolutionary, but gave me a little bit of warm fuzzies. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I again there were some warm fuzzy feelings. I felt like that they never really betrayed Kisuke's character or uh, or or made him do something that I that I thought was. Un- un- unbelievable or bad. I-, 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 I liked the resolution of the second ending because um, even though Torohime dies and, Jin- and Jinkuro uh, gets his soul banished, it-, it feels optimistic for both Momohime and Kisuke. And I-, and I just want those two kids to be happy. Yeah, me too. They deserve happiness. But let's talk about the other half of the uh, Muramasa's story. In Momohime's path, I, I, again, we went into this a little bit, um, she was Yuki Nojo's fiancé, and when Jinkuro, who I think I incorrectly called a demon in the in the previous episode, um, Jinkuro is a samurai, and he was the pupil of uh, Master Oboro that, uh, that did the soul fusion with Kisuke. But he um, killed his master, and... You know, it probably isn't regarded as a true pupil anymore by Oboro. But uh, um, <laughs> Jinkuro meant to take possession of Yukinojo and use Yuki Nojo's um, uh, p- position as a noble to, you know, um, for for wealth, power, success, all of, all that jazz. But it didn't work. Um, Momohime stepped in front of the sword, and Jinkuro accidentally possesses Momohime instead. And that uh, results in him trying to seek out... Uh, Seek out Yuki Nojo, try to find um, an, another demon blade that will give him uh, uh, give him more power. It, that doesn't exactly work. And also Momohime is sort of uh, resisting Jin, uh, Jinkuro's uh, dark ambitions, even though um, the uh, your fox companion, Kongiku, uh, only wants uh, what, whatever Jinkuro wants. Um, and eventually Jinkuro gets the idea that if he turns into a full into a fully powered demon with the demon sword skills, he'll be able to achieve his ends that way. So at one point you journey into hell to see if you can become a demon that way. That doesn't work. But then he gets the idea of maybe if I go into heaven and annoy some gods there, they can turn me into a demigod or a demon. And that doesn't work, work, really work either. That That's when you fight Fryjin and Fujin. Um, and, but then you get the idea to uh, use another path to heaven, which is located in a in a monastery on the uh, in the south 
uh, southwest corner of the map. Uh, and that's where you have a final confrontation with uh, Fudomyo, a, a, a god of wisdom from Japanese folklore, and also uh, y- you fight the sort of guardian versions of, uh, of again, um, two of the main characters from Journey West <laughs> as uh, in, a, in a sort of complicated boss fight where you have to sort of, like, jump up, jump around while avoiding, uh, while fighting these two guardians and, and destroy weak points on a statue until it breaks. I didn't, I didn't love that boss fight. Um, and, and, uh, and that storyline ends with Jinkiro, um, s- sort of willingly going into hell to save, to save Momohime's soul. Um, be- sort of admit- him admitting that, uh, he, he won't be able to get what he wants this way. And he's, you know, he's c- committed some, he's done some bad things. So I guess I'll go to hell and let Momohime live kind of, uh, situation. And, and Momohime, um, I, I, what exactly happens to her in ending one? She just sort of. She she uh, she uh, she goes back to Yuki Nojo. Yuki Nojo asks her to marry him, and she says, "No, I'm gonna be a nun for the rest of my life because I just want to be separate from all of this demon blade stuff and and atone for everything I did while Jinkuro was possessing me." Which is not a satisfying ending. Well, I I I saw the the ending was more so that. Like when she so when she returns to Yuki Nojo, um, you know they're they are supposed to be married, but she says I want to go on this pilgrimage of asceticism, become a monk because I want to find a way to save Jinkuro. So because I was remembering parts of it. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because because she is like well, I I throughout this journey I've experienced so much i've seen heaven i've seen hell through the you know through the eyes of jinkuro in my body there's more to life than this and if i can save the soul of someone who willingly sent himself to hell that's kind of true enlightenment and the um corrupts um the corrupt monk rankai um follows her on this journey because he says i want to atone as well and i want to help you save um this soul and I actually really like that ending because it's Momohime rejecting this marriage to Yuki Nojo, who is kind of kind of a twat. <laughs> Both Yuki Nojo and Rankai are complete jerks for when you encounter them in the story. And like at the very beginning of the game, you might think, "Oh, Yuki Nojo's people are just uh, you know are, are are good people," and Momohime was uh, was his fiance at one point. It's like it's like no, they're. They're trying to do. They're trying to pull off a coup, basically, with um, and and steal the demon swords from Momohime's family to do some to pull off some kind of nasty business. And uh, like they do demonstrate contrition a little bit at the end of Momohime's storylines. But I, like that was, if not exactly a character turn, just a, a sort of. Uh, uh, a, a slightly unexpected uh, revelation early in the game when you sort of see how awful those two characters are. Yeah, and I liked that Momohime is... Um, it shows kind of her growth as a character, and we don't always see that throughout the story. We don't always notice how she's um, growing and evolving and becoming kind of more um, set in these ideas of... Um, kind of expanding her understanding of the natural world around her and what exists and what doesn't. So I really like that ending. And it also demonstrates her, uh, like, trying to um, trying to uh, have some self-efficacy because 
uh, for the large majority of the story, the player is aware that it, that they are controlling Jinkuro, Jinkuro possessing Momohime, and 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 to and to a degree, like uh, Momohime is almost a passenger in her own body. But with Jinkuro gone and her having seen all of this and experienced all of this, uh, like you described, her sort of wanting to go on her own journey, I, I, I guess, is a powerful moment for her character development. Uh, but I but I still think this is maybe the least satisfying of the of the four endings I saw for this game. Um, the, the, uh, Momohime's second ending is similar to Kisuke's in that uh, the final boss is Kisuke, as for Kisuke it was uh, Jinkuro possessing Momohime. But um, when you defeat Kisuke, Kisuke sort of with his dying breath um, perf- uh, does a final blow that is uh, that is enough to kill Momohime. And sort of Kisuke dies, and Momohime is about to die, but then Jinkuro gets the idea that if his master was able to use soul fusion to save Kisuke, he could use the same technique to save Momohime. And um, it ends with uh, uh, Jinkuro performing that, that move, which leaves Omohime, uh, excuse me, Momo, Omohime, which leaves Momohime alive, uh, but, but with amnesia, just like what happened to Kisuke at the, at the very beginning of the game. And um, she's adopted by a very uh, sweet elderly couple, a little bit like Momotaro. <laughs> <laughs> and um um and, and and they name her Oboro because uh that is one of the names she was saying uh when when they found her and she was asleep and just saying people's names and um a, a demon attacks the tiny village where her uh where her new her new parents uh live and some sleeping memory within her allows her to perform some pretty amazing sword play and and kill the demon which uh which has momohime now named oboro realize that there's something inside her that she doesn't totally understand she thanks the elderly couple for saving her and borrows a sword and and some snacks from grandma to go on a jur- to go on a journey of self-discovery on her own and then like as the credits roll they basically describe and uh and and Momohime, now named Oboro, went to forge her own destiny and became a uh, a, a great um, adventurer of legend. In, in a way that that like that was a level of optimism and interest that I I liked more than her first ending. I think. Yeah, that's fair. I I like the idea that um, she may lose her um, her memories of what you know this adventure she embarked on with Jinkuro but she still has that muscle memory um in how to use how to wield this blade from the time that Jinkuro was um you know in her body and so it's as if you know the skills that she learned um throughout this the knowledge she took in and even the skills she learned in swordplay um were still all hers and so it kind of once again removes more of that stubborn that like stubborn spot that this wasn't her story and that this was Jinkuro's and further um lets you know that no this was Momohime's story all this time yeah and uh, I mean Jinkuro didn't have when he possessed Momohime for the first time it's not like he had a battle ready sword maiden to control she she's you have to start at, at level one like so many other RPG characters uh, and similar for Kisuke, who was not uh, not a master of the demon sword style when uh, Oboro possess, uh, does the soul fusion for him. And I, I guess two characters we haven't uh, mentioned maybe enough are um, the, the two Kitsune women. Um, Yuzuruha is sort of a, 
a fox guardian for Kisuke's story, and Ron, uh, Rangiku is a fox guardian that guides you in uh, in Momohime's story. And in these endings, uh, usually in the form of foxes, and not in the, and not in the humanoid forms that we see them in for most of the game. Like use in uh, Kisuke's ending one, there's a fox that's sort of trying to guide the newly reincarnated Kisuke and Torahime together. And in uh, mm-hmm. in Momohime's second ending, there is a fox who's clearly implied to be Rangiku, just sort of looking at her sadly the whole time. Um, that uh, that 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 she's without her memories because um, because um uh, uh Rangiku or is it Kongiku or Rangiku? Kongiku. Kongiku. I've, I'm, I'm I'm getting names wrong. In every podcast in 2021, I can't help <laughs> is, it. It's real bad. Is, is that the character from Rangiku? Is that the character from? Oh Bleach? yeah, there is a there is a woman. Um, the, the yeah, there, there is a woman yeah. named Rangiku in Bleach. She's a, she's Hitsugaya's lieutenant. Mm-hmm. God, there are so yes, many captains yeah. and lieutenants in Bleach. It's it's extremely easy yeah. to mix up names in that in that uh, in that manga. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, man uh, TJ sure. Kubo is up to his old tricks. He's got a he's got a new manga out, uh, and he did the character designs for um, the Sakura Wars game from last year. So he's yeah, he's he's mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, living his best post 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 bleach life. But anyway, um, back to Kongiku. Yeah. Um, Kongiku was in, was in love with Jin Kuro, so with Jin Kuro gone from the soul fusion technique, and a a, a, a fox sadly looking on to Momohime is is you know a little tragic. I, I felt for Kongiku in that moment. Yeah, me too. It was kind of wistful um, seeing that. But um, I think in the second ending, Kongiku ends up ends up uh joining Momohima aka Oboro. Right. Right? Um right as she's leaving, I think. So so it's all is not lost and they can uh rekindle their you know their friendship. <laughs> their this journeying pa- uh, partnership. Oh yeah, they're gonna be the next video game buddy comedy right up there with Sam and Max or Ratchet and Clank. You, you love to see it. Mm-hmm. Oh for sure. Yeah. And um, after you unlock the fourth ending, whether it's Kisuke 2 or Momohime 2, um, the, the notification you get is, uh, but there is still more to play. There is a sword called the Oburo Muramasa that can change fate. Or, uh, w- which, again, I haven't researched this because I, I, I sort of don't want to have to resort to a YouTube video to see how it turns out. But I believe... If you go the distance, unlock all 108 swords, and then fight new final bosses with Kisuke and Momohime with that new sword equipped, you will get endings that somehow allow Torihime to live and somehow allow both Momohime and Jinkoro to live on, on each side. I, I, I'm guessing. It, it, like, the, the third ending seems like it's going to be a fate-changing, uh, death-defying um, plot point in each of those. Which is intriguing to me. That's something I kind of do want to see, but I didn't go the distance because I didn't want to level up uh, my both characters to ninety. Yeah, yeah. I um, I looked I looked at a couple of of just little summaries for those third endings because I don't think I'm gonna do those at some point. And yeah, I, the second endings are fine. Some people might prefer the third endings because they seem. Um, to be more of a complete the circle sort of thing. But um, like with a game that we're going to uh, talk about upcoming in Crimson Shroud, um, I like the I like the less uh, the less uh, tidy endings more. This is amazing timing because I, I know you weren't on those episodes, Eva, but we talked about tidy endings versus messy endings and optimistic endings versus uh, 
somewhat less optimistic endings in the Radiant Historia episodes we recorded we recorded last month. Oh. Um, and we even I even compared Radiant Historia to Dragon Quest XI, where one game has a much less tidy ending than the other. But I thought that both of those games were successful in how they executed their endings because the, because of the tone of the game and sort of the the, the plot machinations of, of of each game. To to echo my th- what I said in that previous en- in that previous episode. Uh, again, it would be part two of the Radiant Historia episodes. Sometimes I want the tidy ending, and sometimes I don't want the tidy ending. And right now, um, I, I just really like the second endings for both Momohime and Kisuke because they are—they're—they're they're not happy. There is loss, and uh, in both of them, but it's an—it's an outcome that I feel fits the tone of the story. And it, it it didn't make me upset what happened. Like I like I'm I'm happy that Mo, that Momohime d- like has um like 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 discovers um her own power and gets to and and gets to you know forge her own story. And I'm happy that that Kisuke like remains true to Torahime and tries to and goes tries to go forward like like living the best version of his life to honor her in both in both of his endings. Sort of the the, the reincarnation endings is a little is a little different, but. I, I'm not sure I need a third ending that uh, that where everyone lives happily ever after, but I like this game enough um, that if I had more time and had uh, and, and 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 didn't have other projects looming, I think I would go for the third endings just to just to see how how they were because I am in some level interested in in what they are. Yeah, I think that's yeah, I think that's totally fair. I don't think from what I've seen that they're bad endings. I just think that I'm. I've gotten I've gotten the endings that I'm I've gotten the endings that I'm cool with, and now I just want to see what happens in the Genroku story. Yeah, there aren't bad endings necessarily. Again, this is me talking about them, not knowing what they are, but they're they're just not something that you need. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, all right. If we've gone over the endings and we're talking about the episodic DLC, what else is the end? We definitely talked about um, how Raijin's got it going on. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure. There's much else to talk about in Muramasa. It, it, it make it makes me want to play more games like it. Maybe go and try and revisit Odin Sphere, a game that who's uh, uh, of which a playthrough I abandoned uh, over a decade ago, um, and and maybe also visit a Japanese hot spring. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I'm in a pretty similar place. I had never completed a vanillaware game before this. I'd been interested in Aegis Rim, um, as we had said before um i mean it's only made me more interested and yeah maybe i'll go back and and play some odin sphere as well um it's this certain this experience certainly hasn't uh hasn't hurt the chances of those happening at all odin sphere has, is is a little bit repetitive i think the gameplay is maybe a little bit worse in odin sphere than muramasa but they mm-hmm. they, they do some very interesting things with rpg food that have that have stuck with me to this day, even though I, do, I don't think I made it to the halfway point in Odin Sphere, and Thirteen Sentinels is just good as hell. I, I've talked about it on a couple of their podcasts for RPG fan, but that was one of my uh, four favorite games of 2020, and uh, I recommend it to anyone that has enough patience to play a 30-hour visual novel with some interspersed uh, real-time strategy battles. Uh, and and uh, Eva, knowing a little bit about you and your tastes from having podcasted with you for over a year now, I I, I think you would enjoy Thirteen Sentinels. I, I think you could. I think you would uh, have a have a good time with that one. Hey, I trust you. We'll do it. 
Yeah, I, I think we're about ready to um, to cap off uh, the March 2021 of Retro Encounter. Thank you so much, Eva, for talking to me about Muramasa the Demon Blade slash Muramasa Rebirth over these two episodes. I'm glad I finally crossed it off. I had a lot of fun with it. I, I think it is a worthy recommendation to anyone that is, manages to download it to your Vita before the PlayStation uh, Store disappears forever on that system. Uh, and... I'm looking forward to what we have next uh, in Retro Encounter. But um, speaking of which, maybe we should talk about the future of Retro Encounter a little bit. Um, we have we have most of April and May planned out already. Um, next week we're doing an episode about, uh, you know, this is maybe a little bit close to you, Eva. It's about social media. Um, we have a lot of social media responses that we receive at RPG Fan via Facebook and Twitter and other places, and we want to address a specific concern that we see a lot on RPG fans' social media. So I brought a, a, we're going to have you and some other social media staff on an episode next week to talk about a, just a specific, a specific question, a specific concept that we hear from our audience a lot. So, so it's sort of an audi- a special audience response episode coming next week. But after that, uh, you mentioned Crimson Shroud not five minutes ago. We're finally going to record an episode on Crimson Shroud, that real weird DSI where game um, from Matsuno that is basically a D&D campaign right down to the dice rolls and the figurines on a map. That is such a weird, interesting thing that I am excited to talk about it with, uh, w- with you in a few weeks. Um, but um, after Crimson Shroud and our social media episode, we're doing two episodes on Suikoden 3, a, P- a PS2 classic RPG that I recently learned is downloadable on PS3, but not PS4. Uh, and I was, and I couldn't get my old PS2 disc wor- working, but uh, I, I had no problem at all throwing ten bones at, at the PS3 to d- download that game. Um, it, and it's uh, Suikoden Three is the third Suikoden game we are playing in three in three years. So I, I think, oh man, does that mean I have to play Suikoden Four next year? I, I hope not. I haven't heard great things about that one, but I have heard good things about Suikoden Three. So I'm excited to play that uh, in April very soon. Um, but uh, coming in May, I won't say exactly how it all shapes up, but we are doing four episodes on Dragon Quest. Uh, so uh, not Dragon Quest One, on Dragon Quest in general. So please look forward to us celebrating the Dragon Quest 35th anniversary in May. Um, but if you want to celebrate Dragon Quest or other video games with us, the best way to reach out to us is to email retro at rpgfan.com. Um, that, I check that every week, and we don't get a lot of emails, but I respond to every single one that I get. You can also comment on RPG Fan's fa- uh, message boards or our Facebook page, our Instagram page, our Twitter page, our Discord server, our YouTube channel, or our Twitch channel, something streaming every day on Twitch. Uh, please interact with RPG Fan however you choose to. There are also three other fine podcasts in RPG Fan, Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness, Rhythm Encounter every two weeks about RPG music, and Phoenix Edge, which is a weekly podcast mostly focused on current events, but they talk about all kinds of stuff over on Phoenix Edge. So please give Hat, Eric, and those guys a listen as well. Um, and uh, after listening to all of RPG fans' podcasts, please review us on iTunes or Google Play or however you plan or however you listen, however you interact. We love all the feedback we can stand. Please give us feedback. But if you want to give feedback to me directly or Eva directly, you should reach out to our individual social media accounts. Eva, how can listeners find you? So y'all can find me on uh, RPG Fans' general social media accounts um, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram as at EVA underscore L-E-E-S.
Uh, so you finally realize that people might not immediately figure out how to spell Ivalice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> totally, totally fair. Um, uh, but listeners, if you want to f- um, find me on social media, I have two Twitter accounts. The first one I use most of the time is at the Real Monsoon. The second of which I use other times is at Evoker for Dogs. Uh, I am also Monsoon Mike on RPG Fans Discord server. You, you know what the, this game made me do, Eva? Uh, maybe the, maybe this is surprising. Maybe it isn't. Um, I was on a regular grocery store run uh, at, at, at when I was you know past the halfway point in this game, and. I saw a bunch of mochi ice cream in the frozen foods aisle. And, you know, eating, like, pearl mochi and strawberry mochi in this game made me think, you know, mochi ice cream sounds pretty good. And I, and I, I bought a perhaps irresponsible amount of mochi ice cream, uh, like, less, less than a week ago. <laughs> I support this. I am in the same boat. <laughs> I have not finished that mochi ice cream yet, but so far, no regrets. Uh, <laughs> listeners, thank you. Good night and good luck.